folks. Welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to discuss this Denver Nuggets win as the Nuggets take down the Suns on Christmas Day. Final score, 128-125 in an overtime affair. This was an incredible game. This was one where you had to be there. Everybody that that got to watch on TV, they got a treat as well. But the arena was absolutely bumping for the entire game. This was one of the most incredible regular season experiences I've had in Ball Arena. And I, I haven't been going to games for a long time. I think this is my fourth year in terms of just regularly going. But this was one of those games that I will remember as a defining moment for when the Nuggets uh, do whatever they do. If if they have success this year, then this will be one of those moments that I remember because it took a lot. Even when the Suns weren't at their best, even when the Suns weren't performing up to the standard as, as a team that I think that they usually do, they were fighting very hard and they got some crazy contributions from Landry Shamit who uh, take about Landry Shamit. You deserve a lot and you deserve a lot of credit for standing in for what I think was the dunk of the year. He tried to take a charge. He's going to be eviscerated for the next several years of his life just because of that dunk. It was an incredible poster by Aaron Gordon, but we'll talk all about that. We're going to go over the win. We're going to go over the three I think primary stars in the first segment, which were Joker, Murray, and AG. We'll go over the rest of the rotation in the second segment, and then talk about the great expectations that are starting to form for the Nuggets in this third segment. But first, we got to start with Joker, who continues to rewrite record books, continues to do everything necessary within his power to get the Nuggets a W. And it's just one of those things where you knew that he was going to show up. You knew that this was going to be a big Joker game because the stars shine brightest on Christmas Day. Joker doesn't celebrate Christmas on this day. He actually made a point to, or he, yeah, it's not it's not his day to celebrate Christmas. He made a point to say that in the post game presser, but you could still feel the energy in the building. And you could still feel exactly how needed it was for the Nuggets to get this done. And Nikola Jokic put the team on his back in a lot of different ways to the tune of 41 points in 44 minutes, 15 rebounds, and 15 assists, plus 12 on the plus-minus in a three-point overtime victory. Let's face it, this is as complete of a performance as you'll get from anybody. Sometimes you'll need other steals and blocks to really, I think, lock that down. But he had some great moments against DeAndre Ayton, including a block. Uh, Helped force some turnovers against DeAndre Ayton. Uh, Did a lot of good things in this matchup. A matchup that he had previously struggled in for sure. And it was nice to see Jokic take full control of this thing right from the get-go. He isolated against Aiton in the mid-range on the right wing, hit a pull-up jumper, nothing but net, just looked very comfortable throughout the night. Missed a couple shots here or there, maybe had a turnover that you might not have liked, but in general, 
Who can argue with 41, 15, and 15? There are only three players in NBA history, at least according to StatHead's database, that have ever achieved a 40, 15, and 15 game. James Harden, Oscar Robertson twice, and Nikola Jokic. It's so rare. It is such a rare thing to be able to put up those kinds of numbers all at the same time. And what Jokic does on a night-to-night basis just continues to be incredible in making the most of those opportunities. He is the best player in the world right now. He is the leader in this MVP race right now. And it became a race last night. You have conversations before, you have opportunities to, I think, stake a claim early in the season, but a lot of people say, especially people that don't necessarily follow just basketball, that basketball season officially starts on Christmas Day. And you had other players play well on Christmas. I I think you had Jason Tatum perform very well. Uh, Luka Doncic played pretty well. John Morant played well in a loss, but it was Jokic, I think, who had the best performance of the evening from anybody and absolutely deserves all of the credit for matching up with a player that he had previously struggled with in DeAndre Ayton and absolutely taking him to town. It was incredible to watch. He had zero uh, fear. <laughs> that's that's probably not the right word. Uh, timidity hesitation, anything like that. He went at Aiton. He he even attempted two Sambor shuffles. He made the first one. Apparently, while they were broadcasting about Yokemus, uh December 15th, in uh, on the broadcast, shout out George Zidano, but it was very impressive. He also took his second Sambor shuffle in clutch time, like with a minute left to go. And that's just how you know that Jokic is in his bag and he's very comfortable. He barely missed that one, but he's just very comfortable knowing exactly what's asked of him and confident in his abilities to get the job done no matter what he does. So really impressive stuff. Glad to see it from him. Deserves all the credit in the world, and I think he's going to be credited for it. There's going to be a lot of people that put him at the top of their ballots on the MVP race at least at the beginning here. Now let's actually go to Aaron Gordon uh, before Jamal Murray. Aaron Gordon had the dunk of the year, and it was a number, like one of a number of amazing dunks and amazing plays that he had throughout this game. His athleticism was just on display from the beginning of the game to the end, where he's leaping through the air, blocking shots from behind, skying for offensive and defensive rebounds, and then sending people to the shadow realm just because they're in his way. He had several dunks, had an alley-oop on a 5-4 Jokic to Gordon pick and roll. He had a transition dunk that I, I don't remember who threw the lob. I think it was KCP, but the lob was so high that Gordon just had to keep rising in order to catch the ball just to get it. And he cocked that thing back and slammed it down so hard with about four minutes left to go in the in the fourth quarter. It's just one of those things that fans can absolutely get behind. And you know that they were hoping to see a show on Christmas. And 
nobody's putting on a better show maybe than Aaron Gordon right now with the athleticism that he's putting on display. It is unbelievable what he continues to do. And the dunk of the year, incredible timing on that. 30 seconds to go in overtime. You're up one. Not necessarily sure how it came to be like that, but Aaron Gordon finds himself with a rebound and going down the floor on a two-on-one after he kind of gets away from traffic. Two-on-one on the right side of the floor, Jokic on the left side. So dishing it off to Jokic is generally a good idea in those situations, but Aaron Gordon kept putting pressure on the rim. And he put Landry Shambit in a position where he had to make a decision. And that one little bit of hesitation was apparently all that Aaron Gordon needed. And so he accelerates and leaps with two uh, off of two feet and cocks it back for a right-handed tomahawk dunk with Landry Shamit right under him. Keep in mind, the score is up one and it's down to like 25 seconds left in the game. And usually in those situations, you try to burn clock. You try to hold the ball. But Aaron Gordon went for it. He absolutely did. And he yammed all over Landry Shamit to the point that there are going to be memes made about it. The picture that was taken on the baseline was just incredible where Landry Shamit is already falling back. And Aaron Gordon is like horizontal getting to dunk that basketball. And you see the reactions of Jokic and Murray, and these guys are just in awe, as is the rest of the crowd, of what Aaron Gordon can do. And for him to have the audacity to take that kind of a shot in that situation and then convert it, man, it was just incredible. This was an incredible time for Aaron Gordon. 28 points, 13 rebounds, two two assists, one steal, one block was a plus 18 in his 41 minutes of a 53-minute game, which means the Nuggets were minus 15 in the minutes that he didn't play. It was incredible. And what he continues to do is just amazing and deserves a lot of credit. Probably, as big of a Murray fan as I am, probably Denver's second best player so far with the way that He has slid into the role that he's needed to play, and he's played it to perfection. Just absolutely incredible. The Nuggets are not 21-11 and without Aaron Gordon's contributions. And then Jamal Murray, before we hit a break here. 26 points in 43 minutes, a season high for Jamal Murray once again. Uh, He actually, he talked to me after the game, uh, right before his postgame presser. He's like, where's Ryan at? And he pointed at the at the minute charge, like 43 minutes, <laughs> just keeps going up. And it's it's really funny because I am pretty sensitive to the fact that usually with an ACL recovery like this, you don't see guys playing that many minutes this early on. Jamal has powered through that. And though the efficiency hasn't really been there in some of his moments, it's been awesome to see him get more comfortable with playing high-intensity basketball. And this was the highest-intensity basketball that he's played so far. You have a matchup against the Phoenix Suns. Mikhail Bridges 
Josh Okogie was very physical in just 10 minutes and actually gave Jamal some issues, I think, with his physicality. Torrey Craig switched out onto him a couple times, but mostly it was Mikhail. Mikhail Bridges was guarding Jamal for much of this game. And it was one of those matchups that Jamal said post game, yeah, we really like this matchup, which is hilarious because the Suns are really, really good. And Mikhail Bridges is really, really good, but it seems like Murray just finds a way to be comfortable against this team. 26 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals and a block, 7 of 19 from the field, 5 of 11 from 3, 7 of 8 from the line. He made 3 of his 3-pointers in that 4th quarter. The first one might have been the most important, where Denver has, I think, 2 seconds left on the shot clock or something very small like that. They run a baseline out of bounds play with Murray coming off of a screen, coming off of several screens. Zeke Naji has a great screen to free him up and basically knocks, I think it was Okogi to the ground. And Murray catches the ball in the corner, just gets his right foot behind the line. It was initially called a two, but then ruled a three later and hits a three at the buzzer. One of those shots that you knew had to go in. You knew it had to. And because he was able to convert that one, Denver had a chance. They were down, I think, uh, well, they were down three at the beginning of the quarter. And immediately that one made it tied. So it's just one of those where you needed a shot to give yourself some hope, especially with the bench out there. And I really like what I saw from Murray with that second unit specifically. It's tough. Like sometimes you have to you have to do what you got to do and Murray has to take a ton, a ton of tough shots right now with that group because there's just no semblance of an identity. But him being able to make five threes initially on this game, it was very funny. Like he was just not shooting off the catch and for whatever reason it was like he was pump faking or he was driving and in, into traffic and not shooting the open catch and shoot jumper. He's probably got to be more comfortable just shooting off the catch in general. Like that's one thing where it's it's just got to happen at some point. And Denver, like if they work for an open shot, especially with that bench unit and it comes to him, got to be willing to take the open catch and shoot jumper because he's good at those. Like the, the entire team is really good on the catch. So you might as well take the open shot that you generate. But other than that, and other than I think the finishing at the rim and in the two-point range tonight was probably less than desirable. It was a good game for Jamal. He had some good defense too. Uh, had a really important uh, stop in the post against Mikhail Bridges, who tried to post him up. I posted this this morning that Murray is second in the NBA in points per possession allowed in the post among players that have faced at least 20 post-ups. Now, it's not a large sample size there. There are only 64 players, but that's still a pretty significant amount of players that have had to be in that situation. So really, really impressive to see what Murray has been able to do. It hasn't been traditional. It hasn't been super efficient in other ways, but he's finding different ways to be successful. And his ability to will the team back in the fourth quarter, I think he scored 14 of his 26 in the fourth, is just very, very impressive given where he's at with his recovery. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss 
the rest of the uh, the rotation. But first, add this to your New Year's resolutions. Win money in 2023 with Superbook Sports. Superbook has over three decades of sports wagering experience in Las Vegas, so you'll get the best odds anywhere as we head into the football playoffs. Plus, check out their special odds boosts and promotions at Superbook.com. Make 2023 the year when you win money from Vegas. Download the Superbook Sports app now and place your bets. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back with Pickaxe and Roll. Jackson Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. As always, if you can, it'd be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Five stars, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. That would be fantastic. I haven't had a review come through in uh, over a month now and would love to see some of those uh, as they continue to update the algorithm for how the, uh, the podcast is presented within the app. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Let's get into the rest of this rotation now. As Michael Porter Jr. is the next guy we're going to talk about, I broke this into a couple of different segments, uh, into different kind of breakdowns. So Michael Porter, KCP are going to be talked about here along with the bench uh, because the other three starters, there's just so much to get through. Michael Porter, only seven points and took 11 shots, 3 of 11 from the field, 0 of 5 from 3, 1 of 2 from the line. Definitely not his best scoring performance. And like he, he has had some weaknesses there at various points where there are times where he doesn't necessarily know how to get involved or maybe the shots that he's taking aren't going down. And usually in those situations, he kind of gets into his own head doesn't necessarily keep himself involved in whatever the Nuggets are doing. Not tonight, or not not last night, excuse me. Michael Porter found a way to impact the game in other ways, and Michael Malone was very quick to compliment this when hearing about him in postgame and when he was asked about Michael Porter. Eight rebounds for Porter, one steal, one block, was a plus 11 in 35 minutes. And the reason why it's really impressive that he was a plus 11 in 35 minutes was because Chris Paul was absolutely hunting the shit out of him for the entire game. Anytime Paul had an opportunity to screen and get Michael Porter onto him, Porter was up to the task. Like Paul finished the game with 17 points, but he did so on 17 shots and he had 10 free throw attempts there was 6 of 17, did have 16 assists and did a fantastic job of distributing the basketball. But what Porter was able to do, other than maybe getting caught on the screen like two, three, four times or so, was he stayed attached to what Chris Paul was trying to do and made things difficult for him as opposed to uh, just, just letting him get to his spots as comfortably as he wanted to. There was one... The block that Porter had was a possession where I don't think that Chris Paul thought that he would get to his shot. 
I think that Chris Paul going to his left off of a screen did not expect Porter to get a block from a rear view contest, but Porter was able to do so. And I think it may have affected that matchup a little bit where Chris Paul doesn't really get blocked all that often, but Porter was able to get around his screen and challenge it from the rear view. And at 6'10", with Paul being just about six foot, six foot one, like that is a very, very important thing where Paul is just trying to hunt out the weakest point of Denver's defense. And last night, the weakest point wasn't that weak. Like Porter was fine. There was nothing really wrong with it. Uh, Devin Booker, the only basket that he had came on in isolation against Michael Porter too. But it took Port- it took Devin Booker like four or five moves to get past Porter. And in the end, he got a, a layoff a layup off right at the shot clock. So it's not like it was easy for these guys. And that's one thing with Porter that you just want to make sure that he makes it so it's not easy for anybody that's going up against him. There's a reason why he was plus 11. There's a reason why he was involved. And there's a reason why Michael Malone trusted him in this game. He could have gone to Bruce Brown. And he did for various like defense-only possessions where you wanted Bruce Brown out there. But Michael Porter was a part of it for what the Nuggets were doing on the defensive end. And, and to be out there in that situation against this team is just really, really important. The shots are going to come. There's no doubt about it. Porter is still trying to find his way to navigate back to being the, pl- the shooter that he was, the player that he was. It's going to take some time to get comfortable with that, especially with the degree of difficulty of, on the shots that Porter takes. And there were some that I did not like last night. I think that he's still trying to figure out how to be the best the, the best shooter he can be. It's not just about taking the shot. It's about generating the best look possible for himself. But I do think that if Porter can play defense the way that he's played in each of these last two games, the Nuggets are going to be fine. They're going to be really, really good with him. And some of the rotations that he had, when he wasn't being involved directly in the pick and roll, some of the rotations he had onto DeAndre Ayton, where Jokic comes up on the screen and forces the pocket pass, Porter was there on several possessions, making things difficult for DeAndre Ayton, who was only 9 of 18 and usually finishes a higher percentage than what he finished. Ayton had six turnovers and was a minus 13 Not all of those turnovers were because of Jokic. I think you could say a lot of them, maybe even the majority of them, were because Porter was rotating over from the weak side and getting into his airspace a little bit. That's an exciting prospect to me. That is an exciting part of this game that I don't think people are discussing enough or, or will be discussing enough, but I'll see if I can clip together some things after this podcast and really try to show that off. Really impressive stuff for Michael Porter. Very, very impressed with his level of commitment and his level of competence so quickly coming back from what what he came back from. It's just very impressive. KCP got the defensive player of the game chain last night and definitely deserved it. 15 uh, 15 points, 4 of 10 from the field, 3 of 5 from 3, 4 of 4 from the line. 
Really good shooting night for him in general. Four assists as well. That's an interesting one. Two steals. Not necessarily like a, a high volume number, but certainly a number where you can see his impact for sure. I really liked what I saw from KCP, and he's one of those guys that the game plan definitely changed when Devin Booker went out. I think that KCP would have spent the most time on Devin Booker. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, we'll never know. But I like the way that he transitioned. I think that Landry Shamit, those baskets weren't necessarily on him, although he may have guarded him the most. He guarded Mikhail Bridges a lot. Uh, he spent a lot of time trying to make it so. Uh, well, I mean, look, it's it's one of those things where it's going to be KCP's closeouts and stunts and the detail things more than the steals that are necessarily what won him the DPOG. Uh, but he's great at those things. He really is. He's probably the best on the Nuggets at those kinds of detail aspects of the game. So deserves a lot of credit for it, for sure. Now let's move to the bench here. We will begin with Bruce Brown, who played 27 minutes. I did not like Bruce Brown's defense in this game. I had a tweet earlier in the evening, probably late second quarter or so. I was like, man, this is Bruce Brown's worst defensive game of his Nuggets tenure. And then I deleted the tweet because I thought better of it. Like, okay, what, what is this really accomplishing? But I think I stand by it in terms of, okay, there were a lot of moments where whether it was Damian Lee or Landry Shamit or Ish Wainwright that he was guarding that the Nuggets did not, like they, they had good defense for a long time. And then it was Bruce Brown who was the guy that broke it down. It was Bruce Brown who either didn't finish the possession with a rebound or a box out or didn't finish the, the possession with the final closeout that every team needs in their bag for the, for the hustling and for the ability to prevent a team from coming back the way that Phoenix did after like Denver blitzed them in the first quarter. But they came back almost immediately on Denver, and I think a lot of that was actually Bruce Brown. Uh, there were other aspects of it, to be clear. I don't, I don't want to just put it all on him, but he was a minus 16 tonight in his 27 minutes, and I don't think that was an accident. But either way, he made a three. He made an and one, though missed the free throw. Not necessarily a, a super involved offensive game for him. And I'm curious to see what the matchup looks like for him when, because Denver's starters are going to be out there when Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges, Devin Booker, when those guys are going to be out there at that time of when it matters. I thought that Bruce Brown would be out there a little bit more frequently in place of Michael Porter tonight. But or last night, excuse me. I'm, I'm recording this the morning after. But it does feel like this might be an interesting matchup where the Nuggets need to figure out exactly where Bruce Brown can really impact the game. I think his best role will be when Devin Booker or Chris Paul stagger with the second unit. He has to be on those guys and do a great job. Or it's campaign. When campaign comes back and, and he's running the second unit a little bit, there are opportunities for Bruce Brown to be a massively impactful player in this matchup. Like There are guards for him to match up with and be physical with. Tonight, it was more Chris Paul hunting out Michael Porter 
in a switch situation and Denver not really like like they knew how to deal with it, but it put Bruce Brown in a situation where he was helping as opposed to on the ball. So Denver's going to have to be ready for that and Bruce Brown will have to be ready for that too. Not necessarily his best performance, but not his worst. Bones Highland. Bones has been through the ringer. He has really struggled over the course of these last few games. And uh, I asked Michael Malone about it, and he equated it to the Michael Porter conversation, basically saying, look, Porter found other ways to contribute defensively. He found ways to rebound and, and stay involved in the game, spacing the floor, like finding ways to cut, not necessarily just relying on the outside shooting in order to be an impactful player. Bones right now is only outside shooting. He had a technical free throw that he took, and the one-two that he took where he drove into the lane, he made the layup. And I'm kind of surprised that he hasn't tried driving a little bit more and gotten away from the, the three. I know that he's a confident dude, and I know that that's kind of just what makes him who he is, but... Sometimes it's just about finding the easy shots that make the harder shots, the step-back threes, the 35-footers. Those shots are going to come when he's in rhythm, but right now he's not in rhythm, and he's not going to get in rhythm by making 35-footers. He's going to get into a rhythm by driving to the basket, playing good offense, and finding opportunities to see the ball go through the hoop closer. He's not doing that right now, and and he's also not really playmaking that well. There's a reason why Murray has had his shots go up in each of these last couple games, and as well as his assists. Murray's kind of leading that bench group right now. Bones is trying to find his way to be successful around that group, but I'm not sure what to really look for with that. I'm not sure what the Nuggets are searching for with him. Because right now with the offense that they run, if it's going to be Murray mostly, and sometimes a little bit of Bones, I'm just not sure whether that's the group that they should be trying to get to. If if it were me personally building this bench unit out, Bones would not be on the floor. It would be Bones, or it'd be Murray, Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, Michael Porter, Zeke Naji. That would be the group that I would use with Jeff Green out. Uh, by the way, I didn't. I haven't had the chance to talk about Jeff Green being out. That's going to be tough. But Denver has the personnel to be able to make it work, and they'll probably play Aaron Gordon more time in order to make that happen. But to me, Bones has to be a savior in his own story. He is not going to be saved. A lot was put on him at the beginning of the season to be the player that he needs to be for the Nuggets bench to be successful. And even then, he was only only ever going to really mitigate disaster. That was his job. With as loaded as the starting lineup is, that lineup is going to be great. It was once again great tonight or last night. It is a situation where Bones just can't let the bench be a disaster, but it has pretty much every game. And I think he may need to sit, though he's not going to. 
Denver needs him to refocus. They need him to get back to a place where he's confident and is willing to drive into the defense, leverage his ability to shoot rather than using that as his only sustainable resource. And in the end, he's also just got to play defense and he's got to do other things. He let his offensive issues really impact him on the defensive end, committed four fouls in 14 minutes, had two turnovers, had an offensive foul push-off. There was just a lot going on with Bones, and he's just kind of a sieve on the other end right now. So I hope he gets it together because the Nuggets can't wait around for him too long. They're going to give him time. They're going to give him probably the entire month of January to really figure it out. But here's the thing. Denver has championship expectations, and they've got the starting lineup that they want. Bruce Brown and Christian Brown have proven to be important pieces for what they want to do. Jeff Green, I assume when he comes back, will also be a part of what they do. They can go a variety of different directions with Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, Jeff Green. Like Those guys are pretty malleable in terms of the lineups that they can play, the schemes that they can play. And as long as they have an offensive creator around them, they'll probably be able to make it work. Denver wants that creator to be Bones Highland, but it may not be. And I hope it I hope he can figure it out because he's fun, he's enjoyable. The Nuggets need that extra boost oftentimes. And they may not like there will be a situation where they need Bones' shooting, and Bones could win them playoff games. They can't let him let go of the rope now. Zeke Naji had nine minutes, had a couple of good switch possessions onto Chris Paul, had a couple of nice possessions going up against Bismack Biombo. What I will say is that Biombo was on the court for good minutes and Zeke Naji was on the court for bad minutes for the Nuggets. I'm not sure if it's a Zeke Naji thing. I do think that Denver at some point they need to figure out whether like Zeke is a pick and roll defense or a pick and roll offensive player or pick and pop offensive player because right now he's not really doing either he's kind of picking and floating into space watching what the opposing what the uh what his partner is doing whether it's Murray whether it's Bones whether it's uh Bruce Brown I'm not sure what his role is but they need to find ways to get him more shots. And I'm not trying to turn him into a, like Malone said, I don't need Zeke to be a 12 and 6 guy in order to be impactful. Well, I need him to be a capable shooter or a capable roller. One of those two things. He can't continue to have games where he takes zero shots because it makes Denver's offense so predictable. If you know that they're never going to pass Zeke Naji the ball, like I think Murray surprised Zeke that he passed him the ball and, and Murray got a turnover out of it because it went right past Zeke's head and bounced off his hands. They need to find ways to keep him involved and that like take advantage of the skill set that he has, which he's a pick and pop shooter. There should be opportunities for him to pick and pop, and they should look for that. That would be a great way to reward a player like him for doing the defensive dirty work and switching and trying to and just doing a whole bunch of boxing out. Like Denver won the rebounding battle yesterday. Not necessarily because of the bench unit though. Uh, Zeke 
had zeros across the board except for three fouls. That's not great. I know that more goes into it than just the box score, but what it says to me is that he's not being properly involved with whatever they're doing. So they're going to have to find ways to get that done. And then Christian Brown, last one here. Three points, one of one. It was a comfortable kind of dribble step back three from the left corner where his man was sagging off of him and he took one dribble and then stepped right back behind the three-point line because there was so much space there and he hit it very comfortably. It was the only shot that he took, but that's an impressive shot and one that I hope he continues to use as a confidence builder going forward. He also had a couple of great defensive possessions against Chris Paul in the fourth quarter where Paul is just trying to get the rookie to get jumpy and uncomfortable and and just get out of his own way. Chris Paul usually takes advantages of uh, take advantage of rookies in those situations. Christian Brown was not doing any of that. He did not bite on a single pump fake and just stayed down and Paul never took a shot while Christian Brown was his nearest defender. Christian Brown still very good defensively. I would have loved to see him match up with Devin Booker to see how that could have gone, but uh, credit to where credit is due. Christian Brown deserves credit for the way that he's impacting defense. Jamal Murray gave him a special shout out post game. And I think the rest of the team really respects his defense. They really like what he's done. All right, let's take one more break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the great expectations that are now facing this Nuggets team. We'll be right back. Jackson Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Final segment. Let's get through this one as I want to talk about Denver's expectations now. Because I think moments like these, where you're the nightcap on the Christmas schedule, all eyes are on you. Maybe some eyes are sleeping there. They are uh, very exhausted after a long day of presents and other basketball and eggnog and things like that on a Christmas day. But it does feel to me like Denver caught some attention last game. They're in a spot now where they have the fourth best record in the NBA. There are three Eastern Conference teams that have a better record. Boston's at 24 and 10. Milwaukee's at 22 and 11. Cleveland's at 22 and 12. And the Nuggets are at 21 and 11. Actually, so they have the third best record in the NBA technically right behind Milwaukee, and just a few games, just a couple games behind Boston. Only one loss behind Boston. The Nuggets are now 12-3 and at home. They are the only team in the Western Conference with a positive road record, where they are above 500. They don't have the best point differential, but they're 7-3 and in their last 10. They're 17-7 and in conference. They have the most conference wins. They have the most away wins, and it feels to me like they're starting to hit a groove, and they're starting to really find themselves and what makes them tick. Last two weeks, they've had some pretty good defensive games. They are top 10 in both offense and defense, and when you start playing that way, 
And then you have a performance like the one last game. You have Nikola Jokic going off for 40, 15, and 15. You have Aaron Gordon doing what he's doing. You have Jamal Murray showing out in the clutch time, which is something that they obviously didn't have last year. It's one of those moments where you're going to look back at it and think, okay, was that the one where everybody really thought, okay, the Nuggets are now real? The Nuggets are a true threat? They can win the Western Conference and might be the favorites? I think that might be true. I think that point differential be damned, the Nuggets are now at this place where, okay, teams were like, okay, they, they weren't necessarily trying on defense in the first month, month and a half of the season. And then they started trying, and lo and behold, they're the first in the West, and they've barely tried. I think the teams are going to start looking at the Nuggets as we get into 2023 and think, okay, that is the team we have to take down. That is the team that we have to really match up with and game plan for if a finals is to be earned. The Nuggets want to go to the finals. They want to be the lead contender. They want to be the last team standing when it's all said and done. But so do all these other teams. And when you're the Nuggets, you have to look around the Western Conference and think, okay, who's a threat to us? Who's a threat to uh, this, this team that we have assembled? Well, the Pelicans are pretty good. The Grizzlies, though, uh, maybe the Nuggets match up better with them, but the Grizzlies are still very dangerous. The Suns like took Denver to uh, the brink without Devin Booker in this last game. You think that they might have a better chance with Devin Booker on the floor? Probably. The Clippers are all like they have the same record as the Suns and have barely had Kawhi Leonard and Paul George play together at this point. Denver didn't face them with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Is that different? And uh, Dallas is very dangerous. Golden State is obviously very dangerous, but there's a lot of reasons and a lot of teams that Denver specifically could be game planning for, but you never know who. If you're those other teams, you're more so just looking at the top of the West. You're looking up at the playoff picture, trying to figure out which of those teams is the biggest threat to you. And they're going to look at Denver, and they're going to look at the best player in the world, or at least very close to it, and think, okay, that's probably the team that we have to get through in order to reach the promised land. I think the Pelicans are thinking this. I think the Grizzlies are thinking this, no matter what John Morant says. I think the Suns and the Clippers and the Kings and the Jazz and the Mavericks and the Blazers and the T-Wolves and the Golden State Warriors are all thinking that, especially after last night. The Nuggets have proven themselves to be dangerous, but more than anything, they've proven themselves to have one of the best star duos and like singular stars for sure, but with Murray and with the way that they run two-man game, the Nuggets are going to be extremely dangerous no matter who they face. I think those teams are going to spend a lot of their resources trying to figure out ways to shut Denver down, to match up with them. And some teams crack with that pressure. Some teams, uh, like last year's Phoenix Suns, fall apart in those pressure-packed situations where one team hits you in the mouth in a Game 7 and then you just don't have any response at all. The Mavericks curated their roster, basically removing Kristaps Porzingis from the equation 
after seeing him fail against a small ball unit with the Clippers. They curated their roster and said, no, we are going to go small ball. We are going to switch and we are going to kill you with spacing and defense. And they found a way to beat the Suns. The Nuggets are going to be that team. They're going to be the Suns. Maybe not to that degree where they have, they're just like shouting from the rooftops how good they are. Denver is. I don't think Denver's doing that. And like, I don't think that they want to do that. I just think that that process is going to happen naturally as everybody looks at the West and how topsy turvy it is right now. You have nine teams above 500. All of those teams are, are four and a half games within each other. Denver's got 11 losses, Portland's got 16, and they're in ninth place. It's not like it's that far away. And so you've got this strong grouping here, and all of these teams are going to think that they have a chance. And in order to really get it done, they know they're going to have to face the Nuggets, or at least be prepared to do so. So I am preparing myself mentally for Denver to kind of be at the front runner conversation as opposed to the underdog conversation. They have Murray and Porter back. Jokic is playing at the best level of his career, which is somehow insane. Uh, Aaron Gordon is playing at the best level of his career. They've got guys like Bruce Brown and KCP and Christian Brown and Jeff Green when he comes back. Denver's got players. They have some defensive-minded players, too, that can shore up some of their weaknesses when they really try. But it's going to be a bunch of expectations. And this is, I think, the first time that the Nuggets are really having to cope with that, except for back in the 2018-19 season, when Denver won 54 games and was the two-seed right behind the Golden State Warriors, who were the one-seed that year. That was a very interesting time where the Nuggets had those expectations with the way that they finished or with the way that they started the season. And then you get to the playoffs and then nobody really respected them at all. They thought that they were frauds. They thought that they were the easiest two seed to defeat that anybody had ever seen. And to be fair, those teams were probably correct because of how inexperienced and flawed Denver was at that time. But now, Denver's not as flawed. They have fewer weaknesses and greater strengths. Jokic is a much better player than he was. He had like 29, 14, and 13 or something in game seven of that final series against Portland. And he just had 41, 15, and 15. And I didn't really bat an eye. He is a better player. The Nuggets are a better team. They're more confident and I think have a more self-belief in general than where they were, I think, four years ago or so. But it's not crazy to think that this team could be a little bit uncomfortable with those added expectations because I think this team sometimes drinks its own Kool-Aid a little bit where you get out to a big lead and then you relax. You See how easy a matchup can be at times, and then you relax. Denver is going to have to find that balance between relaxing and really putting the pedal to the metal during the situation. 
They've got to navigate it. I don't know the best way to do it. I can only provide guesses. I've had a lot of conversations with Matt Moore about this HP basketball shout out locked on. And I don't know what the best way for Denver to approach the rest of the season is. Are they going to try to really lean into being that top team? Or are they going to just try to stay under the radar the entire time? Not necessarily talk at all. Not really like just put their head down and go to work. I suspect that that's probably the way to gain the most success. But I honestly think that the Nuggets need confidence. And they need to have the ability to draw from that confidence in the playoffs. Knowing that they are capable of matching up with any team and having that belief and being willing to talk about it because it takes confidence to be able to talk about it and then back it up. It's also dangerous. So that's a more dangerous line to to play. I'm just very curious. I don't know how it's going to go, but I do know that when NBA analysts are figuring out what to do with the Western Conference playoff picture, there are going to be player or there are going to be people who pick the Nuggets to win the West now. A lot more than previously. I think most will still probably lean to the Clippers or the Warriors. But there will be some people that pick Memphis. There will be some people that pick Phoenix. There will be some people that pick New Orleans. And there may be some people that pick Denver. But I think it's going to be a lot more people that pick Denver than what I previously thought. So should be really interesting to see how this evolves. What an interesting time. Going into Christmas night, a little bit nervous for sure, but definitely excited to see how they would match up with Phoenix. I think that despite the fact that Devin Booker went out, I think that Denver can match up with Phoenix well. They went through some dry shooting spells with their stars in that first quarter, in that first half, and then Porter never really broke out of it. Murray did. Murray found some ways to be successful. And we'll continue to do so as he just downloads more information on the season and gets ready for a playoff run. But I think that if Denver were to match up with Phoenix in the playoffs, it would be an epic series. It would be really, really impressive. And I cannot wait because I said some things online that I probably shouldn't have. So uh, that'll be, uh, if it goes wrong, man, I'm going to have to hide in a hole for for a while. But if it goes right, man, it's going to be... It's going to be amazing. So that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I'm recording this. Uh, basically, it's now noon on Monday, December 26th. Denver plays again on the 27th and 28th, back-to-back nights against the Sacramento Kings. I'll be recording podcasts after each of those, and there will be plenty of opportunities for a lot of fun. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. As always, I'll talk to you guys very soon.